When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you manage your mind, you can change your cellular health, your biological age, in other words. Um, and so you control that. So you literally, with your mind, control how your DNA functions. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Health Theory. Today's guest is best-selling author, Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a cognitive neuroscientist with a PhD in communication pathology who's been researching the brain, mental health, and memory formation for over 30 years. Her insights and methodology have helped over a million people to improve the quality of their lives and have made her a highly sought-after speaker who lectures to audiences around the world. Additionally, she runs the Integrated Mind Network and is participating in a DC-based mental health initiative that is a part of her tireless efforts to reduce the global stigma around mental health. Dr. Leaf, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm thrilled. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So um, I'm super curious to know if if your um, your Skype can be believed, you are now in Dallas, Texas. Um, how how does one go from South Africa? And I think were you you were born somewhere else even from there? Yes. Yeah. I got an interesting history. I was born in Zimbabwe and grew up in South Africa, and we've been in the states now for 12 years. So we're based in Dallas, but we travel globally. 70% of the month. Pre-COVID, post-COVID and during COVID, we obviously haven't traveled. But yeah, our main offer, we're based in Dallas. So I'm my mom was English, my dad, well, Irish English, my dad Italian. So I'm kind of a mixture and my husband's Swiss. So put that all together <laughs> and it's a, it's an interesting mix. So I start with that is because one of the things I find most interesting about your work is the whole idea of identity and how important that is for people. And I know you work with people a lot yeah. on that. And one of the things that I have found certainly anchored my own identity and I've seen anchor a lot of people's identity is where they're from. And so having yeah. that sort of high level of being a nomad and, and going to all these places, one, how yeah. has that impacted your identity? How do you think about identity and, you know, what are what's your guidance for people trying to solidify a useful identity? Tom, that's an excellent question, and it's really a good place to start because when I worked in clinical practice, which I did for 25 years, it's the first area that you need to work with with people because your identity is your value. So if your identity, if you know how to manage your identity, you can be absolutely anywhere, and that doesn't throw you. You know, you don't attach your identity to a place. You attach it to yourself, which is a healthy way of doing it. And I think probably the work, um, it's good you I'm glad you asked me about South Africa too, because my initial research was obviously done there. And I would spend three days, up to three days a week working in the apartheid era, because I mean, I'm, this is back in the eighties in the transition with Mandela coming in and then post-apartheid. And, you know, with this, everything that's going on currently at the moment with racism, I saw firsthand what was happening to people's identity. And a lot of my initial brain research was done. And that's where I honestly learned most of what I do because it's always in the trenches dealing with people whose identity had been removed. A classic example of identity is Nelson Mandela. And when he was, when he was sent to prison in, on Robben Island, one of the things that they did was they, the first thing besides, you know, all the inhumane things they did was that they took their ID card away and your ID card 
already in an apartheid South Africa, um, to the, that ID card meant everything. And the first thing they would do is say, take it away and say, you you have no value. You 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 have no identity. And then they would put them in you know the prison outfits, and there there was no recognition of identity. And it, that's how they would broke a lot of their spirits. And it's interesting how Mandela took that and turned that into what we know, transformed that experience into something very constructive. Whereas there was a, that the traditional, I mean the the well known hammer murderer who was. Um, incarcerated at the same time as him and what they would have to do all day long would hit hit these white stones with a hammer and it was there was no no recognition no value for them as a human and they would just do this day in and day out dehumanizing and when when Mandela got out of prison we know what he did he transformed the world impacted the world the hammer murder went on to be the hammer murder he actually murdered people and became a serial killer and there's two classic examples of people whose identities were removed and who used that in a different way and transformed that in a different way so if i had to define identity it's really simple it's how you uniquely think and feel and choose that's what it is. So when I think of identity, I actually think of it a little bit differently. And I'd be curious to know if we have conflicting ideas on identity, if we're just saying the same thing, maybe same thing. in different angles. So I think of identity as a statement that you repeat to yourself about who you are um, using actual like those words. So in the beginning, I the thing I repeated to myself is I am Solieri. And I don't know if you know the movie Amadeus or not, but Solieri was the character who was just good enough at music to recognize he would never be as good as Mozart. And when I saw that movie, I was like, oh my God, that's me. Like, I'm just yeah. smart enough to realize how much smarter other people are. And so I had that yeah. similar lament of like, could mm -hmm. you not have made me dumber so that I don't have the self-awareness, that I don't recognize yeah. that I'm not as good as these people, or couldn't you have made me as good as these people, right? But being yeah. in the area where it's like, oh man, I just recognize where I'm at. So I had to switch that. And, and yeah. so a big moment for me was going, actually, I am the learner. And because I could repeat it to myself and I could define what a learner was and what a learner does, and it became so concrete and so specific, that it gave me um, a way to see myself that made me feel good and a way to behave that moved me forward. Um, is that is that a collision with how you see it? Mm -mm. Is that... No, it's totally, totally complimentary. So what you've done is you've translated you how you thought, felt, and chose about yourself from being someone who almost was that, that the almost there, the area area to recognizing that actually you are. So you basically thought, felt, and chose. In order for you to make a statement, it's preceded by um, a thought. So you had the thought of who you were, and then you had to change it to another thought. And a thought is a big concept, and it's a real thing. But thoughts come from an action, and that is the unique identity of um, thinking, feeling, and choosing. So you had to think, feel, choose. You built a thought, and then that thought became encapsulated into a statement. Can, can you tell me what do you mean by choose? Okay, so um, as you, um, what we do at incredible speeds on the non-conscious level at like 400 billion actions per second, we do on a conscious level at a much slower rate. And um, we have awareness of our thinking, feeling and choosing every 10 seconds. So as I think, I will feel and as I think and feel, 
I will choose. Choice means that you're building, updating your knowledge. It's like a wave of, of knowledge that's been constantly updated about yourself. Do you mean so I'm we choosing what to believe about myself? Choosing, yes, choice about everything. It's choice about everything. Every experience, like at right at the moment, as you're listening to me, I'm giving you information. You're thinking, feeling, and making choices about what I'm saying. So the three go together, and choice is kind of the. It's like it puts the bow on it. It kind of collapses the wave. If you think of a wave on a beach, this is the easiest way to understand choice. You think and feel. The the wave builds and then as you choose the wave crashes so you make a decision and then that leads you to the next bit of so information let me, that you let me need. push on that a little bit so you've yeah. got you're saying things let's say it's about identity and so i'm i'm having a reaction to that or i'm thinking about it i'm having an emotional reaction to that and then i'm going to make a decision about whether i think it's true or it's false or worthy of pursuit or whatever um, and that sort of narrows the world of opportunity down into now that i have a decision about it i've sort of cataloged it is that and then the yes, world becomes it, I've cataloged all these things in all these different yes. places and that creates my what I call frame of reference. I don't know um, what word you would use for that. but Yeah, you can you can explain it exactly like that. And it's not just a one off thing. It's a constant process. So there's there's a lot of little decisions like a comic strip. If you think of a comic strip, there's a lot of little cartoons and then but we don't see the individual cartoons. We see a whole flow. So every but every little cartoon is like that. Think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose. But put together, it's a flow. So to get to the point of I am a learner, there were a lot of little individual parts of the cartoon, little individual think, feel, choose boxes that led up to the uh, the, the identity that you created, that you shifted for yourself, that you literally reconceptualized. So you, so thinking and feeling and choosing is mind in action, and we're always in action, twenty four seven. And there's a there's there's a bunch of little proteins that are supercomputers that are vibrating with I am a learner in the in in little branches looks like a tree and every experience that you have daily is being added to that concept because you keep on learning and that's a thought a thought is like a tree filled with memories and it's a thought is a huge concept and it's something that we build from thinking feeling and choosing but within it is an infinite number of branches that you keep growing because of each experience so the I am a learner keeps growing so the identity keeps growing and and changing and along the way it's very organic so along the way we experience this we have a relationship we meet someone else we learn something new so every time you do an interview every time you prepare for an interview every time you have a conversation with your wife or friend you are adding to that identity because you approach things in terms of I'm learning I'm learning new stuff all the time um, a lot of that a lot of people when I, that would come into my practice and a lot of people that that contact me now thousands will say I don't know who I am I don't know what my purpose is I've been told by everyone I can't do this I can't do that I've gone through this I've gone through this trauma this brain injury this autism or in the racial South Africa that I worked in and this current racist environment, the value of, well, you're black, so you're not worth the same thing. Who, who are you really? So we've all got the same brain structures and physiology, but the way that you are building this information and the way that your viewers are building what I'm saying now is going to look different. We're all building different trees of what I'm saying at the moment based on your unique identity. So when we accept okay, that- I, let's, um, Okay, I want to slow down there just because I want to make sure that people can actually piece this together. So I'm going to translate some of this into just the words that I use and let me know if I'm actually understanding this. So um, there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so, right? The sort of immortal Shakespeare quote, which I think is really brilliant and, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. points to how humans are meaning making machines. So yes. what I hear you saying is that in every moment, your, your thoughts 
ultimately come down to a choice that you're making. I like the word choice. If I'm understanding correctly, I like the word choice. So I had always taken, oh, I'm not as good as other people and that's just who I am. But once I realized, oh, that's a choice and I could actually focus my, um, I could make a different choice, which is that, well, my brain is plastic and I can learn. So I'm not as good as them yet. And so the insertion of the word yet became this incredibly powerful, life-changing decision that I, and I've heard you talk about this. In the early days of brain plasticity, it was hotly contested. People were debating it. Is it real? Is it not real? And it was, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Whatever um, number of neurons you're born with, that's what you're going to die with. That's it. The brain doesn't make new cells. And so in the the late 90s, when I'm sort of sliding towards depression and I'm like, man, I'm I've taken on tens of thousands of dollars in debt from college. I'm not talented. I'm never going to be able to do what I want to do for a living. And, and now I'm lost. And so it was a really dark place. But I find brain plasticity. It's hotly debated, but I choose to believe that it's real. So when you talk about the the tree and sort of the way I think about all the branches, is that what you're talking about? Where these, those little incremental things, you're constantly changing the shape of this tree as you make these different choices about all these little incremental concepts that you encounter that you then assign meaning to. Perfect. You said that perfectly. That's exactly what you're doing. When you think, you will automatically always feel. And when you feel, you will automatically choose. We do that as humans, whether we like it or not. So we either choosing, we can't never not choose. You know, that's one of the arguments that people say, well, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. That's a choice. So you either, you're choosing either to actually move in one direction or the other all the time. So the three always go together. You cannot separate them out. So the result that you build is that tree, the thought, they look like trees in the, in the brain. We see that they have an arbor like structure, which is tree-like structure. They're constantly changing. They're never the same. They're always updating from every experience that you have. So you're always growing little branches. There's no space limit to the amount of branches that you grow. There's no space limit in your brain just by the nature of how the brain actually grows itself. Um, and this this is neurogenesis, neuroplasticity, which is the research I've been doing for all these years. So you a thought then, as you think, feel, and choose, and we're talking specifically about the thought of identity at the moment, which is very core because it pervades how we view everything in life. It's a very dominant thought structure that we build into our brain, and it kind of is the sunglasses we put on on how we view life. That thought, when you think, feel, and choose, and you build the tree, and if my hand is the tree, we can literally imagine that the inside this tree we've got information, so on the branches, and emotions, because we think about information. So we build information, and also the emotions, which is the feeling we experience at that moment, also goes into there. So this thought has information and emotions, and all the little branches are the memories of the thought which keep getting added to. So thoughts are real things. They occupy mental real estate. Let's talk about how um, nothing can change. Energy is never lost. We know that from Newton. So energy is never lost. Energy is transferred. And let's say that you're, you're seeing yourself in a very negative way, like those people uh, that I work with in South Africa or my patients or the example you gave of yourself. If we constantly think about ourselves negatively, we're going against the natural function of, of the, the way that the energy should flow in the brain as we are going through life. So instead of the- when I think beta. about should, though, I that'll that'll derail on. So I won't um, I won't take us down that path. But to me, whether we should or shouldn't um, 
is certainly we can change the way that we feel. We can change even the hard wiring of our brain by getting a grip of our thoughts. And I know one thing you've talked a lot about is- That's the whole thing that I teach, yeah. So walk me through like when it comes to changing your identity. So you've got this tree, you've made all these decisions, you've got these emotions associated with thoughts and they sort of, in my language, will cough up to your conscious mind at the weirdest of times and cause you to interpret situations in, in an unhelpful way unless you take control of that. And, and I love your analogy of it being like a tree because once you get into an organic growth, I start thinking some people, the way that their frame of reference, all those little choices that they've made have built instead of, you know, like a beautiful bonsai tree, it's a bramble and it's, you yeah, know, it's exactly. tangled and there's thorns and it's like impossible to get your way through. So yeah. how do you help people, whether it's meditation, journaling, breathing exercises, developing self-awareness, like how do you help them take control of that process and begin to build an identity that serves them? Okay. Brilliant question. So if you use your mind in a very determined way, so if you control your choices, and you, you've said this, you've said this, both of us, that when you think and feel and choose, you have the ability to change your choices, to control your choices. So that thinking and feeling is leading to the change of the choice. When you do that, you change the structure of your brain, because the thinking, feeling, choosing moves through your brain, leads to a genetic change in your brain, which then builds the little proteins that actually hold the thought, which are the, and the proteins make the branches of the tree. So this is, when we talk about neuroplasticity, the visual you can actually imagine is of tree branches growing. So there is structural change. So you are changing matter with mind. So what is mind? Think, feel, choose. What is matter? It's the physical substance or substrate of the brain and the body. And then the brain controls the body. So how do you teach people to um, be conscious about that process? Like for me, I always tell people nice and simple. The only identity that's going to serve you long term is that of the learner, period. Simple as it's the most foundational. I, I am very open. If somebody has a better answer, I will immediately adopt it. But it's anti-fragile to use Nassim Taleb's term where the more you attack somebody with a the mindset of the learner, the stronger you make them because their their identity is not associated with being right, with being good or worthy or anything that's fragile, being smart. It's all around cool. I I want to know where I'm wrong because I want to improve. My very self-esteem is attached to my willingness to learn, to stare nakedly at my inadequacies and get better. So that's sort of my foundational thing that I hand to people and say, look, just do that. If you build your identity around that, you're going to be golden. I give them the phrases to repeat. Um, What's the, the scaffolding or process is probably a better way to say it. What's the process that you give people for changing their identity in a very specific way? Okay, so first of all, learner is an excellent way because learner means that you're always open to change. So you're always open to thinking, feeling, and making choices. So learner is an excellent an excellent word to use for that because you can't learn unless you think and feel and, and make choices. I quickly want to just frame it with related to something that you mentioned a moment ago because it will make it easy to understand the how our brain should flow. You, the word should, you, you paused on the word should. Everyone's got their own should. I want to stress that. There is no um, normal brain. Yale actually brought a study out in 2018, and I, and I stress that I, all my research, all my neuroscience research is done looking at people as individual case studies. So you are your own measure, and the whole mental health movement completely is counter to that because the, well, the, the, I'd say the vast majority of the biomedical model because it doesn't look as the, at the individual as an individual in the context of their story and measure against themselves and look at what they've gone through and what they're going through and the societal 
etc etc it's more these are the symptoms diagnosis symptoms give you a label and lock you into a box and that has been very detrimental to mental health we've gone backwards in mental health for the last 60 years it hasn't worked it's made things worse what we have to get back to is the recognition of the individual so when i say should it's not should against any measure it is there's a certain pattern in the brain that we see when our, when we've got a handle on how we're comfortable. And being comfortable is also being uncomfortable. So I have, maybe you feel depressed, like you expressed, expressed that you went through depression. So if you're feeling depressed or anxious, these are not illnesses. These are not limiting illnesses. These are signals that there's something going on in your life that you need to look at. So depression related to identity, I can't achieve what I'm, what, what I don't believe I'm ever going to make it. I'm just not good enough for whatever, all that thought of I'm not good enough had all the little memories of whatever from whatever experience inside of that so that's frames it so how do we fix that so what I studied was the science of thought so if we think feel and choose to build a thought how does that process happen in the brain and how can I translate that back for a patient who's suffering from depression or child who's battling with learning issues or someone who has an identity crisis or whatever so there's five basic things that your brain goes through but there's a preparation phase first the preparation is the mindfulness the breathing all those things which then prepares the body on a physiological level and a neurophysiological level for the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system to balance and for us to get mindful in the moment as soon as you are they have done mindfulness training for example and some mindfulness work or a bit of meditation and breathing you then your brain is then in a phase phase state where the different energies of the brain alpha beta theta data delta nothing weird um, are all flowing like in a beach think of a sea think of the sea if you go far out in the sea you've got the huge swell um, and that's like it's deep and it's big and it's massive but it's this massive swell that's delta then you come in a little closer and it's a big swell but it's not as big that's theta and those two represent the deep the the non-conscious mind which is the biggest part of us that non-physical part of us where our intelligences our memories it's working 24 7 it's huge it's churning this is why the sea analogy is really good then you've got you come in a little closer to the shore and you get alpha which is now starting to build into more of a way that you can recognize the typical wave form and then you get um, high beta which is kind of the top of the wave where you're starting to see the white crest and then you get the beta where it crashes onto the beach and then you get the little ripple which is what we would call gamma so these the gamma beta gamma beta um, are all dealing with conscious are very act they're active 20 all of them are active all the time but they become more active when you're conscious and awake um, and when you are sleeping the others become more conscious but they've got to work together because it's the conscious and the non-conscious mind and the alpha is um, a state that your brain goes into where you can actually capture and get access to the non-conscious mind by being aware of the conscious mind okay so how do you do it so the first how do we get this wave flowing that sometimes will be a big wave and sometimes small just depending on circumstances you have a trauma you have a this you have a that it's all normal okay it's all part of life it's all we get up and down anxiety these are all things that we experience so we have to normalize um, depression anxiety and yes you have extreme states from extreme circumstances and we can talk about that in a in a moment but life is is a wave but it's not a perfect wave all the time but what we don't want is to to become a tsunami or a white river rapid you know where it's like overwhelming and you and you feel like 
even if it does, you can still control it through your choices. So we have this phenomenal ability as humans of awareness, but and it's a skill that we need to learn. So what I'm talking about now in the five steps that I'm going to now summarize for you, and it summarizes all my, if I have to give you one word for all the work that I've done, it's mind management. I teach mind management based, and I, and I show the evidence of mind management, which is basically neuro, neuroplasticity happening through showing people that when you do certain mind actions, you're going to change your physiology, your blood, etc. Even your cells, I've even shown that your telomeres will grow or shorten depending on how you manage your mind, which is incredibly important for biological aging, cellular health, etc. And then also the changes inside of your brain. So the first thing that we as humans are very good at, but we can get very bad at if we get very distracted is awareness and self-regulation. So step number one is developing our awareness, our skill of awareness. This is something we have to um, develop and it's something that needs to be grown and it's something that you need to teach our kids in schools. Can you give like a super quick example of how people can improve their awareness? Okay. So it's being, it's, it's actually using what I call the multiple perspective advantage. So it's Standing back and observing your own thinking, feeling, and choosing. You can do it with me right now. So as we're talking, all the listeners and viewers can do this right now. Be very aware. Like I'm very aware now of my fingers moving. I'm aware of your facial expression. I'm aware of what's behind you. I'm aware of my own body movements. I'm aware of our conversation and the relationship developing, how you feel. I'm aware. And I'm watching my thinking, I'm feeling, and choosing in terms of my choice of words. So I'm highly aware which is a state that you will come out of when you're in mindfulness. When you do my meditation, you get into a very aware state of your, of your, um, what you are feeling physically, how maybe your toes sore, maybe your, um, your heart beating faster, whatever. I'm just giving random examples. So it's being very tuned in to what's going on in terms of your thinking and your physical and the emotional. So what information am I thinking about? What emotions am I experiencing? What physical sensations? And it's developing that. With our very mo- with our modern era, we've become very distracted. Um, they did a very interesting study at Harvard and a couple of other universities t- teamed up with them where they put people into a room and they took away all the iPhones, e- any kind of technology. They just had to sit. The instruction was just to think. They had 18 to 75-year-olds and they just had to think. And they only had to do it for 16 minutes. And the majority absolutely hated it. They couldn't do it. They were they were frustrated. They were irritated. There was a shocking device in the room. It was very well hidden. And some of them were so bored that they found the shocking device and they shocked themselves. They'd rather shock themselves than sit and think. Just 10 years ago, this kind of, the same kind of research was done and people loved it. People have, in our modern era, and I'm not anti-technology, it's brilliant, but it's mind management of technology. Mm-hmm. When we lose our awareness skill, when we aren't aware of having um, aware of you and how you're feeling. I lose a natural part of me, which is empathy. Awareness is very much related to empathy. Empathy for myself, my identity, who I am, empathy for others, empathy for my impact that I'm making on having on others. Um, awareness of I'm getting irritated. Why am I getting irritated? Not just reacting and being irritated. So we see in our current modern era, and we can't just blame our modern era, but it's playing into it. It's making it more difficult. When we are so busy with um, technology and things so accessible, the lifestyle that it's now, everything's just on your edge and you can just get everything so quickly, um, we we haven't taken enough time to think. And your brain needs to reboot. So part of awareness is awareness of what am I thinking at the moment? Why did I just snap it? 
my spouse? Why did I feel irritated with that? Why did I? Why am and I is the interruption of awareness is that the rebooting that you're talking about, or is meditating yes. in shifting from say beta to alpha? Is that the rebooting? It's all a process. So once again, it's a process. So it's it's a determined choice. Once again, to stand back and observe your own thinking. So you use your choice to observe your choice. So you're going into, and when people do this, we see massive activity in the frontal lobe, showing that there's a lot of insight happening. So you're watching yourself, almost like the Scrooge movie where he goes and watches himself growing up as a child, where you actually, you know, that movie is a very good analogy of what I'm talking about. That is something we need to develop. It's there in us, but it's something that we have to grow. So awareness is related to that concept. It's also developed through thinker moments, daydreaming, mind wandering, but in a, in a sense where you don't let your mind go off in a tangent, but you have a fixed amount of time where you let your mind, you just do that in the room, just think, just let your mind think and to be very aware of your thinking and to notice the intrusive thoughts to, I mean, 95% of 95 to 99% of people have got intrusive thoughts. And I don't know why they say that in the research, it should be a hundred percent because we all have intrusive thoughts. But what they're trying to say is that about 94% of people suffer from intrusive thoughts that are actually debilitating. Mm. And then what we tend to do is um, don't, we don't focus on them and we shove them down. But if you shove something down, it goes back even stronger than it was before. So if you don't deal with something, then it, it creates a very damaged energy pattern in the brain. So the energy now, now you're going to get too much delta activity and theta activity. And that means that when you go to sleep at night, you won't go into the, the non-REM sleep, which is your deep sleep, for example. And you have to get enough of that sleep in order to release growth hormone factors, in order to release telomerase for cells, a million different things go on. So if we go to, if we don't manage our minds, I'm just giving a couple of examples and awareness is the first step and awareness is, and are is all, the, all five steps are about the management, right? All of them. And, and, okay, and so I won't, I won't derail us. So um, number one, we've got awareness. And then number two? Number two is reflection. So, but before awareness comes preparation. So never forget we prepare. We've set our brain and body with the meditation, breathing, etc. Awareness then is this whole becoming aware of what you're thinking, feeling, and choosing. And quick example before I go into reflection. Let's say that we take, let's take your example. So now you became aware of that you were actually seeing yourself as someone who almost was good enough, but not good enough kind of thing. That was this thought concept. And then you had all these examples and you even gave it a label. So that's the first thing, if, I, if we use just identity as an example, this, these five steps can be applied to anything you're going through, whether it is a toxic habit, a toxic trauma, an identity issue like we're talking about now, um, just the day-to-day -day managing life. You can use these five steps because it's mind management. It's how you control your thinking, feeling, and choosing to make sure your brain stays, obeys you. <laughs> stays online so that you can manage the next moment and not react, um, that you can be proactive in your reactions and not not reactive because the reactive will cause brain damage and you can fix it, but then it's more work. So we can always fix a trauma. We can always fix a bad decision. So, you know, we don't have to beat ourselves up about that, but we can also learn to be more proactive. So the first step is the awareness. Second step is reflection. Reflection is why did I even think that in the first place? What were the root causes of the reason that you felt like that about yourself? And I've heard your story before, and there's a lot of stuff that you went through as a child that, that you could track that back to. And if you ask yourself why you thought that, which is a reflex step, it wouldn't come out straight away. It's going to take you at least 63 days. It's going to take you at least nine weeks. Minimum, it could take you. Why 63 you days? 
So, okay, so neuroplasticity, it happens in, in various different cycles. The overarching cycle is that it takes 21 days to build a long-term memory to get what we call a gamma peak, which is the evidence that we learning has actually taken place. So I'm coming to your word of learning because I love the word learning. Learning is what I've used for years. So that's why I love that you use that word. So it takes 21 days to learn to build a long-term memory. Now, long-term memory means I've built a tree with information and emotions, and it's there. It's in my brain. And um, I can use it. But if I don't stabilize it, it's like a little plant. If I don't water, it won't grow. So it's built, but it's not accessible. So within 48 hours or even shorter or maybe within a few days,